Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Lighty, and with us tonight we have Jen Larson. Hey, Jen, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, um, I'm Jen. Um, I'm a musician um, and writer in Chicago. I have a couple bands. Uh, one is called Swimsuit Edition. The other one's called Beastie. Both are great. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I have a website um, called Disappearing Media. Um, I publish a newspaper from outer space, and I am now putting out a card game called Douchebag CEO. So fun. I can't get over how much I love Douchebag CEO. And so for those of you not familiar, it's like Old Maid, except the card that you don't want is the Douchebag CEO. And like when you told me about this idea, uh, it shocked me how much I never even thought of Old Maid as totally offensive. <laughs> yup. <laughs> And I have to say, as a union organizer, I love the idea of douchebag CEO. I think it's it's weird because it's so ingrained in us, and I don't think I walked through my whole life thinking, oh my god, this horrible game old maid. Um, but you know, upon like coming across it at some point and just being like, wait a second. <laughs> so the worst thing you can be is an unmarried older woman? No. So we have a we even have an old maid card who's like a hot cougar that rides a crotch rocket. That looks like a you know a black cat. Yeah, I can't wait to be that old maid. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I've known you for a while for our uh, actions through the Chicken Coop, which is a community space here in Chicago where we throughout the summer had like workshops and cookouts and all around fun times. So check out that on Facebook too. So, um, Jen, what's the first horror movie you remember seeing? Oh wow. Um, my sister was really into horror movies. Older or younger? Uh, one year older. So we were like, oh, we were like oh, real good friends growing I up. I wanted a sister. That's cool. <laughs> um, and she wasn't scared by anything, but I was always like terrified. This is, this is probably lame, but I remember, I, I guess probably my first introduction to it were, was, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> the mm-hmm. show. And... I, this is a, these aren't horror movies, but I remember scary stories <gasps> growing up. Oh, you mean the books? Yeah, scary stories the books. Tell in the dark. Yeah. Oh god, I loved those books. Those were wonderful. And I feel like they were creepy in a way that you could get away with with your parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were like they were totally they're totally part of the horror genre. Yeah. So I do remember like when I first started reading Stephen King, my mom would be like, "Nope," and take it. And I was like, "Damn it." <laughs> So how do you feel about horror as a genre in general? Well, it's it's complex, I guess. I I think it's something that we're working out as humans, like a subconscious thing we're working out, like this fear of death that we have, this like fear of like otherness or unknown, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like those like dark parts of our brain. Sometimes I wonder if we're perpetuating like violence or something with it. I know I know I have a lot of friends who really really enjoy it and I've had a lot of people you know, get me into a lot of different, a lot of different horror franchises and movies and directors and writers and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I see it as kind of fun, but there's like this dark darkness about it. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> no, that's fair. That's real. Uh, so for us to talk about on the podcast today, Jen chose Pet Cemetery, and um, yeah. you know, this is a classic film, Stephen King film. Uh, about a family that moves into a beautiful new house and realizes on their plot they have the pet cemetery. But then what's behind that is a, 
<sighs> Ancient Indian burial ground. God damn it, Stephen King. <laughs> and this place possesses powers to bring dead beings back to life, although they're not quite the same when they come back. So, Jen, why'd you pick Pet Cemetery? It was one of those movies that I've never been able to get in my head. The Zelda character, and like when Gage is a like little demon baby, those like images just pop up to my head when someone says horror movie and um i don't know i've just never been able i've just i always think of this movie yeah i mean the imagery you just brought up is very striking and uh we'll get into those characters in a little bit uh but yeah we are right like when you originally told me you wanted to do this movie we were hanging out and uh you were talking about the scene with the sister zelda and in my mind, I was like, I know, I know that, but I don't remember it. But as soon as you showed it to me, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I remember. Ugh. I think a lot of people bury that scene. Like they mm-hmm. don't, I've had a lot of people tell me they don't remember it. And then when you show that, when, like when you show it to them, they're, it's like something that they like, like repressed or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Traumatic film moments. <laughs> uh so I'm curious, what themes jumped out at you in this movie, especially rewatching it now as an adult? Um, I did notice like there's this Frankenstein thing happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, this like reanimation, this undead mm-hmm. thing, which I find interesting. And the whole thing, I, the whole thing just like kind of confuses me, like why this, like why these choices were made. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's also something about like psychosis, you know, like I feel like um, the main character goes through like this trans transformation where he just like becomes psychotic the dad the, yeah the dad mm-hmm. I can't remember his name right now sorry doctor dad doctor dad doctor dad um he just you know he goes through this whole thing where he becomes crazy but I also see how like men's actions are like impacting like you know this entire family and yeah. they're just so like bold and unnecessary you're right he's like making decisions for the entire family yeah so are, were there themes you noticed um, I guess, like, overall is just people's inability to, like, handle and deal with death, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, or in a smaller version of that as well, like, even the inability to, like, come to terms with the idea that you did something wrong and you need to take responsibility for that and sit, as my therapist would say, you just need to sit with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's really interesting. I think that's, I think that is the larger theme, actually, that I somehow missed, but... <laughs> it, it, I, I think I, I honestly miss that for like very personal reasons. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the overarching theme is that, you know, like they're so afraid to talk about death with their daughter yeah. and all that stuff. And the mom, the mom's so upset and upset about dad even mentioning death. And then you see that like just unfold over the movie and it's like they can't handle this idea that someone is gone or someone has died. Mm-hmm. And in that breath, I love the juxtaposition of them with the character Missy, who is like, (laughs) Uh, she's the housekeeper and she just like is like Eeyore if Eeyore was a woman, you know, like I think their first interaction with them, she says something about like, no one will ever marry me anyway. And just like, she's just very vocal about how she's not satisfied in life. And then she ends up hanging herself and pinning a suicide note to her sweater. And, like, I know it's sad, but, like, the fact that she pinned a note to herself, like a little kid going to school, you know, just, like, struck me as really weird. But there's that old maid, you know, thing. That, like, fear of, you know, that 
fear of being an old, unmarried older woman that we have. Right. She killed herself over it. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even think about that aspect. And she's kind of like a cautionary tale in that way. Like, yeah. don't be old and alone. Yeah, you'll be sad. I can't wait to be old and alone. <laughs> Sounds great. Everyone go away. It'll be so quiet. I was also kind of like surprised that they had to have Missy employed at the house because like mom doesn't work, right? No, I, I think it was a big house. Mm-hmm. For them, maybe yeah, that I don't too. know. I mean, it's two kids and them. I don't know. That kind of surprised me. Like, it does seem weird. It's like this weird class thing. Yeah, I didn't get it. Because um, he's a doctor. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Another thing that jumped out at me was the um, the question of euthanasia, right? Which uh, goes back to Zelda, who we were talking about before. Um, the mom, Rachel. And has an extreme feeling of guilt over, you know, the accidental death of Zelda that she feels she was responsible for. Um, But in a way, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe this is the parents creating a setup so that they don't have to care for Zelda anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, well, like, I mean, she would talk about, like, oh, we'd hide her away in the bedroom. It was, mm-hmm. like, this dirty secret. I might be, like, quoting the movie right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was, like, this, this secret um, and it was something that she had not dealt with. It's like you can almost see it physically in her mind being like this room that she's locked, you know, like away. And I didn't know this until I watched another movie on Netflix called The Disappointment Room. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Uh, but apparently, like, oh, I think it was in England, but it might have been a worldwide practice. Like parents who had sick or deformed children would have secret rooms in the attic that they kept their kids in called disappointment rooms. Wow. Yeah, fucked up. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that applies to my work um, as a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've taught, I've been uh, designated to self-contained classrooms. You know, the idea is that you take the special ed kids out of the regular classroom and you keep mm-hmm. them separate yeah. from, you know, the rest of the class. And so um, that, you know, that definitely like hits close to home for me because I, I work with kids that are told pushed out of the mainstream and told that they need to be separate from it because of you know xyz Mm -hmm. and a lot of times the only i mean like i can understand sometimes with behavior stuff um needing needing to do that or all that but when it when it comes to like academic um work i don't i don't see the reason why i can't be working in the regular classroom with them most of the time so it's um a really bizarre thing to me yeah. That this happens. I remember growing up in school, they always had kids with learning disabilities in, you know, a different area. And it felt so, like... These kids, those kids. Yeah. yeah. And it must have been so hard to be in that group. Yeah. Because, you know, the other kids... Kids are assholes. <laughs> well, I try to make them feel cool. And when I started teaching, I had, like, purple hair and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so the general... I try to make it so the general kids are jealous. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, hey, guys... You want to be in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And they do. They always want to come to my classroom. And then I can't let them. And so I get into a lot of mm. a lot of that. You can't. No, you can't come. These are my special, <laughs> these are my special kids. So uh, speaking of like groups feeling othered, uh, I have to say like the whole thing with the um, Indian burial ground is a bit. Uh, 
You know, it's a theme that jumps up in horror movies a lot. Yeah. And like, you know, I I think it's a good thing that in our age we can look back in our youth and be like, oh, the mass culture of that time uh, was wrong and did something kind of shitty. And yeah. look how far we've come in such a short time that we can say now that we would not, we should stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like the idea that, you know, Native Americans are, you know, mystical and exotic and like have powers to bring cats back from the dead you know it's but also this like evil like this sort of like evil energy that like is involved in it is really is really bizarre Mm -hmm. that's very bigoted as well yeah because i grew up uh next to like the oneida reservation so like a lot of my friends were ojibwe oneida menominee like my friends weren't exotic mystics, you know. <laughs> like, right. They were just kids. They're just I knew. your friends. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in, in Michigan, and there, um, up, you know, up north in Mount Pleasant, there's uh, Central Michigan University, and the the mascot is the Chippewas. But there's you know actual there's actual like Indian reservations up there, mm-hmm. and um, that was always really bizarre to me because, you know. I went to school with a few of the kids and it was, it was weird that, I mean, obviously it's weird that the Chippewas is the mascot. Um, and that's, I don't think that's even yeah. a conversation that people it's in, are in central Michigan, like around that university are even having. Um, my brother went there, so I had to go to a lot of football games. He was, mm. he was a football player. <laughs> How fun for you. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> I'm from Green Bay. I know about being forced to watch football. <laughs> So, my favorite character in this movie is their neighbor. <laughs> I love Herman Munster. Like, I wish he lived next to me. I hate that character. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. So, why do you hate him? <laughs> it's like, why? Like, why are you telling him to do this? Like, why are you getting this guy to, like, bury... Like, why are you doing this when you know that, like, this... You know all these stories about... The, this evil dog and like this kid that turned mm-hmm. into a zombie and like all this stuff. Why are you getting him to do this when you know the outcome? And then telling him later, oh, well, you now just like unlocked these like evil <laughs> spirits because you did this and that's what killed your son and like all of this stuff. And it's like, why are you, why are you doing that? Why aren't you being helpful? Mm. So he, he just frustrates me, I guess. I think though he, I feel like he was more like just presenting all the information and showing him, like, because the dad still has free will sure. to decide to do these things. Maybe there's something there. I kind of felt like he was encouraging him in certain ways. Like, he was doing this thing where he kind of was, like, discouraging but encouraging. Ooh, maybe it was It was bizarre. Like, maybe that is a great metaphor for, like, how patriarchy is passed down from yeah. generation to generation. Yeah. Like, it's a bad thing, yeah. but it'll help you out. Yeah, but it, it just seemed like it was kind of like... Hey, guy, here's a little loophole mm-hmm. that you know, like that that you you know you can do this, but I don't know, it's kind of bad, but like you know, blah blah blah. I'm on your side. Yeah. Kind of, it just kind of felt like that, and I guess that's what I that's what I mean. Yeah, and maybe I was just taken in because I liked their camaraderie. I liked how um, you know the neighbor was just so willing to like be there for the dad and you know be his friend and. Uh, but part of me was also like, you know, you would hate if your neighbors talked to you that much, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, that also, I think that that's really kind of annoying how 
like he didn't just kind of like show up at his house. I just kind of felt like he just like would show up. Mm-hmm. I just read a fable with my students the other day mm-hmm. um, about a baboon with an umbrella, and the baboon had holes in his umbrella, and um, it was just like this thing where it was like his one of his friends had told him to cut holes in it because he couldn't he couldn't close the umbrella, so he told him to cut holes in it so that he could like enjoy it in the sunshine and in the rain. Aww. But the you know the message was you know sometimes your friends have really shitty advice. <laughs> That's what we said in, in the sixth grade classroom is we were just like, you know what? Sometimes your friends have shitty, shitty advice. Uh, so I have to say my favorite line in this entire movie was uh, Ellen, the little girl, go, uh, he's not God's cat. He's my cat. <laughs> she's really she's really dramatic. Um, that character is really funny. I love that. And I understand the dad, you know, wanting to bring the cat back from the dead. Like, I'm a grown-ass woman, and I don't know what I would do if these guys got hit by a car, you know? Yeah. I'd freak the fuck out real bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's, it's I know you just lost your kitty last yeah. year, and I'm so sorry. Well, I, just, I got a tattoo of her. I didn't yeah. try to re- reanimate her. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, there's... I know people who, like, want to get, like, taxidermy of their cat after they die and things like that, and I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it sort of makes sense to me. You can still pet them then. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I guess... I feel like if I were that dad, I would have just gone and got a new cat. You know, like... That that seems like a little like weird. Like, oh, we're not going to deal with the death. You know, mm-hmm. still, that's still like pro- like a problem. But I would have just been like... That's probably what I would have done. Yeah. If I couldn't handle it or I couldn't handle like you know, seeing my daughter's reaction to her cat dying. Yeah, and they didn't even want to talk about, like, when they took church to get, was it neutered? Something. Yeah, there was a conversation about, like, church is going to be just fine, and then the dad said, you know, there's a chance that church could die because of the anesthesia, and if that happens, you're fucking talking to her about this, you know? And it's like, yeah. whoa, that they're going to fight over just, like, the possibility of this conversation. Yeah. It was really representative of how unwilling to talk about this subject they were. Yeah, just really closed off to it. Um, it's like mom never got therapy, you know, from her. Mom was such an unsatisfying character. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other characters in this film that really jumps out is the ghost of Pascal. Yeah, he's like a ominous, you know, thing at the beginning of the movie. Like a jogger or something that gets hit by a car and Oops, truck yeah right so there you know so there's that and then i don't like honestly like understand this character that much because it's just like he just comes and he's just like warning mm-hmm. you know warning uh the dad about everything that's going to happen and it's like he just it's like it's like almost as if like he's almost making it happen in some way because mm. i feel like I feel like the dad's like, what is this? Like, what does this mean? And I feel like this is part of, like, when the dad's going crazy. I mean, it kind of starts Mm -hmm. at the beginning where he's just like, why am I seeing this dead guy? Yeah. First off, I want to say, sweet outfit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would not want to spend eternity in uh, those weird jogging shorts. But he looks good. Uh, I think he's a rep- I think he's a representative of the dad's guilt. Yeah. In like you know, it's the first real patient in the hometown that he's in now, and he dies. And yeah. I mean, that guy's head was like wide open when he walked in the door. So I don't think the dad should really hold himself 
too much to you know too much guilt but I do feel like you know doctors have so much wrapped up in their personal reputations of being healers and godlike that for your first patient to die on the table probably hit him pretty hard and then uh yeah it's weird with his character you're not sure if he's there to caution the dad or to leave. If he's the like dad. enticing him, yeah. And like, this is another thing too that's very similar to the neighbor. Yeah. That we and it's like up. all these like male characters, and that's like what's that's what's so it's really interesting you bring up that God kind of thing because there is this like godlike nature to the dad, like that Frankenstein thing that I was talking about, like where he's trying to solve everything by, you know, like being that that God character. He's trying to like um control everything. Mm-hmm. Um like even when he finally kills the cat, like he like lifts him up in this like really dramatic way and like gives him a shot which kills him and it's like it's like this like whole like weird thing like you can just like see his like you know whole body being put into it like he's just so like yeah forceful or whatever I do feel like in that moment like with the weight of it like maybe it's supposed to symbolize like this is the maybe the death of my child's innocence now I have to Mm. really tell her her cat's dead yeah um what strikes me about the whole thing is we were talking about how he's making all these decisions for the family and it's like, this is so like typical of, you know, the patriarchy too, where it's like the, this, this man with these like other two men sort of like, as his like little devil and angel, whatever on his shoulder, um, it's like making all these choices. And it's just like impacting the whole family, you know, like these decisions that he's making are like impacting the daughter and like impacting the mom. And, um, then they're just left to deal with it. You know, like we have the daughter who's like left to deal with this like whole mess at the end. Like we don't know. I mean, like that's all we can think about. It's like, oh, your whole family is dead, which is addressed in the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the final scene of this film is the dad has brought the wife back to life because, oh, it's she hasn't been dead as long. Her brain won't be as yeah. evil yeah. as Gage's was. Uh, and then, of course, it ends with them. Standing in the kitchen kissing, but oh, 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 she picks up a huge knife and then ah, it goes black, but you know what happens. Yeah. That might be one of my favorite scenes, though. I don't know. There's something, I I feel bad, I mean, I don't know if I feel bad, but there's something satisfying seeing, having the final scene being like the woman killing, (laughs) killing the man. Yeah, especially since she didn't get to make any decisions in this goddamn movie, much less have many lines. And, like, her dad is, like, causing all of this drama. (laughs) Like, we didn't talk about him punching, like, punching his son-in-law at his... Why did he hate him so much? No one can figure it out. Like, I don't think... Like, the backstory on that is, like, not developed at all. And, you know, it has to just be this sort of, like, like, power struggle... You know, or something. There's something going on, but he hates he hates his son-in-law so much. Because he's the aging patriarch. Yeah. Oh. And so there's like this power struggle happening. He punches him at his grandson's funeral. Yeah. In front of like the whole family. And then the wife starts screaming about, Daddy, Daddy, are you okay? <laughs> like, you just, your dad just punched your husband. Right. What the fuck? And like no one knows why they even don't like each other especially too like if i married a doctor my whole family would be like yeah way to go we yeah, it's like he's it. jealous or yeah. something like there's oh. like this that's kind of like how i looked at it was he was just like he's taking my baby girl probably but he you know the the dad always thinks like like i'm not good enough mm-hmm. you know or whatever but it doesn't seem like that's the case i don't know yeah it's just a we, weird we don't know enough thing about it they don't really explain 
I always wanted the second one to be like finding out more about that. That's like my favorite thing when um, mm-hmm. stories like continue is to like get the backstory, get more of the backstory, mm-hmm. find the root causes of like a lot of this stuff. But no, that, that did not happen in the second one. Yeah. So let's jump into favorite scenes. I'm not sure. I feel like I'm on edge the whole movie. I feel like mm-hmm. this is like a movie that like I just feel on edge the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like all of these ominous things happening. So like it's like there's like you know you have like this like beautiful family at the beginning. Oh and my he's god! Flying yes. the, the kids flying the kite, but then it's like he gets you know run over by a truck with a truck driver listening to like the Ramones. I know. The Ramones, Ramones is like a big thing with Pet Cemetery too. It is, and I didn't realize L Seven is in there too. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, they're um, a good soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it did when they showed up. Uh, you know, and got out of the house, and they're just so beautiful and waspy. Yeah, and like, we're so happy. We're so... Like, oh, are, you, all are die. you kids ready? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's always people moving into a new house, which uh, was for sale oh, last year. Really? Um, Stephen Stephen King. Uh, I don't, it's a two hundred fifty five thousand dollars. Where I looked, that's not that's not bad. That's not bad. But you also have to deal with the fact that you're in like this like haunted. It's probably haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen King was actually there when he wrote it. Really? Um, so he was there when he wrote it and, um, there's an actual pet cemetery and the, there's this big question, like, why is it spelled this weird way? Cause every time I was typing it, when I was trying to talk to you and try to autocorrect it, it would drive me freaking crazy. Um, but there was an actual pet cemetery that these kids made in this town in Maine and they spelled it wrong. Oh. So it was kind of like this cute thing, but, um, yeah, they made an actual pet cemetery and, um, some of these things happened to him where like his cat got oh. killed and his son walked too close to the I don't his his son didn't die but oh. his son walked too close you know and like this is sort of what inspired um the the plot line of this this movie it was like his real life and actually he did not want to make this into a book like he just ended up doing it his wife like hated it like mm-hmm. thought it was kind of it's like this tragedy he didn't he really didn't want to make the he didn't really want to put the book out huh interesting yeah, because a lot of Stephen King's books deal with, you know, the loss of innocence and, and like, a lot of gruesome things for children. Uh, so it's surprising to me that this is where he drew the line. Yeah. Uh, it is, when you mentioned the spelling of Pet Cemetery, though, my phone kept autocorrecting to seminary. Oh. And it's like, Pet Cemetery? Like, oh, little priest, kitties, I'd, be, I'd go to church. That would be so cute. <laughs> I think that would make church more appealing for all of us. <laughs> it was pets giving them. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> uh, so one of my favorite scenes in this film is uh, when Zelda comes back as a, maybe it's like a vision just to harass Rachel. Yeah. She says, <laughs> she's like threatening Rachel and she's like, I'll twist your back like mine. You'll never get out of bed again. And I was just like, part of me was like, hmm. <laughs> All right. Just be in bed forever. Zelda, that's not a threat. (laughs) What I want to do most days. But for Rachel, it's like, you know, this terrifying thing. I don't really know why. I don't even know what she does. Mm -hmm. Like, what is this character? This character has no depth. Like, no one, like, even knows anything about her. Except for she has, like, this asshole dad and she's married to a doctor, you know? Yeah. Very (laughs) one-dimensional character. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And it like really speaks to the power players in the film being men. Yeah. Yeah, really. Which maybe that's why it was kind of difficult to watch. So my favorite, ooh, this also ties in with what we were talking about. My favorite character in this film is Gage, who is just so damn cute. You know he's going to die. 
but when he comes back, he's still really adorable. And it's playful. like they put like contacts in him to make his his eyes cuter. Yeah, or something <laughs> like. He comes back, kills the neighbor, then you know ultimately kills his mom, and uh, attacks the dad. But when he's doing that, he just has like such a. Uh, a sense of playfulness about him like he says I scared you didn't I and there's like giggle his giggles yeah little giggles I want to play with you daddy and like whatever (laughs) I don't know what he's saying it's just like you know he talks him over the phone and he hears him say all that he's also the little boy in kindergarten cup boys have penises girls have vaginas that little boy oh yeah and he was like Michelle's friend in full house I didn't know that. So I feel like he's like, for me, his his adorableness is like so nostalgic too. Mm-hmm. So I think he's my favorite character. Even like when he's evil, like I think he's, he exactly, like he's so cute. Like that scene, in, my favorite scene is in the, at, when the attic, when he's up mm-hmm. in the attic and he, come, he comes down. Shuts I don't, down. yeah. Yeah. And I love when. Um, Reminds me of like Chucky or something. Yeah. The dad wrestles him and, you know, gives him the shot and kills him. And uh, his response is, no fear. No fair. Yeah. He's so cute. Um, But in regards to the theme we were talking about before, about like, you know, like passing on this sense of being the patriarch, like what do you think him killing his own son represent? Like is it an unwillingness to give up his dominance? Yeah, like it's like a power thing. Maybe. But I, I... I don't know. I think that I, I look at it. I was looking at it as kind of like him having to deal with the mess he made. You know, like this is the thing you were so afraid of dealing with. Mm-hmm. Now look what you did. You know, like look what you did because you couldn't deal with it. You created like this bigger, like this bigger mess mm-hmm. for like everybody, not like just you, like for everybody else. And so I was, I was always looking at it as like, oh, well, now, now you have to deal with this. Now you have to like kill him. Because you couldn't grieve. Mm-hmm. And when you look at like the community response to this, like once you take the problem outside, just those that are specifically impacted by it to the larger like town aspect, uh, like when Bill was killed, the neighbor was recounting that, um, or not Bill, Bill's son who came back from the war and then Bill put him in the ground and he yeah. came back. Uh, the town like burned down Bill's whole house yeah. and like killed him too. So it was uh, like it really spoke to that mob mentality about addressing a problem and kind of representative of like no one's very good at conflict resolution. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And we see that in our day to day. We see that on Facebook every second that we check. We're checking it. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people people don't. Yeah, that's that's a that's a thing. And I feel like this town has a lot of trauma. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just like this ongoing trauma that's that's happening, which is why it just totally pissed me off that the neighbor wasn't just like, don't do it. Don't don't do mm-hmm. it. I wonder if it also speaks to the fact that some people just love to stir the pot. Yeah. You know, like he's probably bored out of his fucking mind. Yeah, that's like- how I saw that character. And that's why he irritated me, I think, is because I was just like, you're just starting drama, dude. Oh, like, I feel weird now that I liked him. I just liked him because no, he's Herman Munster. He is. He is lovable. And that's the thing is like, like those, I love his, I want to. I want to be old and live in his little house. Yeah. I understand. I understand the appeal of that character, but I just hated his actions. I didn't like, I didn't feel like he was helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, you th- it's like he has this like performative, like helpfulness, but it's not, it's like underneath it, he's actually just like causing more problems. Oh, you know? That's interesting too. Which is that stirring the pot, you know, sort of like not dealing with 
conflict correctly and like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We weren't sure if we were going to like get to be able to discuss this or not if we'd have time to watch both of them, but we actually did watch Pet Cemetery 2 as well. Um, which is an interesting story that how it got made. Jen, why don't you talk a little bit about that? I didn't realize this. Um, yeah, I looked into it a bit because I was so... I mean, immediately I was like, I want to see the story of this girl, Ellie. How is she going to mm-hmm. face all of this? You know, because now this, this is like this is like her story now. Like, she has to deal with her whole family's dead. And mm-hmm. she has to live with her asshole grandpa and like all this stuff, you know, um, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, go, Ellie, run. But yeah. <laughs> And I hadn't realized I'd seen Pet Cemetery 2 before either. Like, I... Uh, I had the same experience. It was like one of those things where I was like, I, wa- I was watching. I was like, oh my God, I've seen this. I've seen this before. But um, it is not about her and the interesting thing is is that the director who was called in from Pet Cemetery 1 um, wanted to make it about her but the production company was not really interested in the idea of making a story with a young girl protagonist so they changed the entire story and they made it about this young boy and they told a whole new had a whole new narrative but they do talk about her some of the boys that he he meets when he moves to this town are telling horror stories in the in the cemetery and they're talking about the young girl whose whole family died mm-hmm. and one day she just goes crazy and you know kills her grandparents which is interesting because it's like it's like as if the the evil spirit like found her so it wasn't she was alone yeah so it wasn't like about this house it was like about her family and their psychological problems mm. yeah and that scene bummed me out cuz i was like I want to know more about Ellie. <laughs> right. This this is this is the character that would make an interesting story, and it's so messed up that this production company was like, "Nope, we need Edward Furlong to study to to star in this this movie because that's gonna that's gonna you know bring in sales, and that's you know another example of dun, 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 the patriarchy." Yeah. <laughs> That's so disappointing. I mean, I will admit I did have a crush on Edward Furlong <laughs> as a young teen gal. Sales, sales, sales. <laughs> they got their marketing right. They picked <laughs> me. All right. So Pet Cemetery 2 made me cry when the bully takes his kitten. Okay, not the mom dying, you know, but uh, <laughs> the threatening of the kitten and then the stepdad being a fucking asshole to Zowie. Holy I just could that, not. And being... um. A rapist? That too, yes. Uh, that was upsetting. Uh, he was just like a super abusive... It was like his friend's stepdad. was like this super abusive freak. It was so uncomfortable. But yeah, it was a, it's, a, it's a, weird, a weird narrative. Even like the first time we meet him, he's talking to Edward Furlong's character and basically says like, Hey, I fucked your mom. It's yeah. like we were prom homecoming couple... We dated, you know, the whole nine yards. I'm just like, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. What a gross guy. Yeah. It's like they literally were like, we could take this story about Ellie and have something interesting, but instead we're just going to tell more stories about gross dudes. Yeah. And you know what's something that um, I found about the like reanimation of the second one is it seemed like the tendencies you had were opposite when you came back. Yeah. yeah, it it was weird. It was like as if the ancient burial ground like changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't line up. Um, Stephen King took his name off of it. Oh really? Yeah, he was like no. Um, I didn't know that. So I mean, I don't think that because he wasn't I don't in think that this one either. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was the priest in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this story was like just didn't really make sense. It was a really 
poorly written uh, script, in my opinion. And um, again, it was a, a movie where only male characters moved things. Yeah. Yeah. The women were just secondary and, uh, you know, dealing with the outcomes of the, the men's actions. So that's where we're at. Yeah. And I guess, like, part two, I don't know. There was um, <laughs> not a lot of great parts. Yeah, it was just boring, honestly. Yeah. But I just find the I the concept or like how you know how the production company like made these decisions i think that that's like one of the interesting things to talk about when we're Mm -hmm. talking about our our feminist lens on on this film um i think that's really really sad and i think that happens a lot where uh female stories of female protagonists are just ignored i've heard people say that you know part of the reason is that you know while we as women are able to empathize with male characters mm-hmm. you know we can see ourselves and then we you know we kind of have to yeah um the, because the mainstream narrative yeah. isn't for us yeah usually. and you know i've heard that it has a lot to do with empathy too just an inherent you know amount of empathy but that you know men tend to not be able to empathize with female characters they're not interested in them they're boring to them and that's so sad because that literally just cuts us out of narratives Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have friends who say that male friends who have said to me that Broad City is just not a funny show. Those they yeah. don't understand their humor. But then these are guys who like think Bill and Ted is really funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you just don't like women like be like being taking the up space. yeah taking up space <laughs> or like being like being the main character. Mm-hmm. That's what you don't like. Yeah, because you can't see yourself in that. Right. And if you can't see yourself in it, why give it any time? Right. And that's this lack of empathy thing that, you know, is this big issue. It's like this almost like, it's like the psychological problem we have collectively Mm -hmm. is that, you know, we have this lack of empathy that is making decisions is in power and like all that kind of stuff. And like, that's what's happening in these, you know, movies too. Exactly. Man, we just had this conversation with Stephanie Weber on the last episode as well. You see a lot now about how these narratives are changing and that's where all these different voices of uncomfortableness come up. You know, like, well, all these uppity women, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, we just want a little more space in the mainstream narrative. Yeah. You know, like we we want to see things that appeal to us and represent us. But also, I feel like it's so important for men to empathize with women. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's like where we're at is like, I kind of feel like I... You know, like, I've had these conversations where people are like, let's take men out of power, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, let's also, let's also, like, if we're going to do that, or like, how, I don't know how we do that, but like, let's teach men how to empathize at a young age also, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's so important. Like, you know, it's like, we have to undo so many things. Like, I don't know how we go about doing that, but Mm -hmm. I think that teaching empathy or... Putting can an empath- you teach empathy? I don't know. And the thing is, I do I do think you can in certain ways. I and mean, I think it's kind of like the standards you hold people to. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just reading an article today about not like in a preschool that doesn't allow students to say sorry. They want them to like not just say sorry and walk away from the situation and oh. think they cleaned everything up. And so this is teaching empathy in a lot of ways is you don't that's just say, you don't say sorry and just like that's the magic word that just makes everything disappear. You know, you have to like acknowledge what, what it is that you're sorry about Mm -hmm. and that's you know that's something that's happening in a a preschool and I find that fascinating and I think that that is part of this sort of like you know sort of curriculum or whatever if you want to call it that that we could have around teaching empathy but there's a lot of other things that we can do and a lot of that is having kids read stories from girls perspectives at a very young age and I I really make a really make a concerted effort to 
do that in my classroom. Mm-hmm. I like to have, you know, we have like peace circles and things like that where we talk about our feelings. And I do think that that is a way to teach empathy. Oh, for sure. You know, so I, I do think it's possible, um, you know, to do that. Because now even when we're chatting, I'm thinking back to like when you and I were kids and the, uh, the two main expressions that jumped out at me is uh, boys will be boys. Yeah. And if a boy hits you... Oh, that means he likes you. Right. Like, no. My students, my students are really kind of out of control and the boys will bother the girls and poke at them and da, da, da. And I have these two girls who just slap the boys right back. And there's this part of me that's like, good. (laughs) But you know, I can't, can't I can't let them, them. yeah, I can't let them know that I think it's good. But at the same time, when I talk to them about not doing it, they're like, well, I'm not going to just let someone hit me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, good. You know what I, you know what I want to do is encourage their powerful you know, stance or whatever. I want to encourage them uh, taking agency and all that, but I don't want to encourage them hitting, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like these conversations I have to have with the boys and girls separately. And it's, it's it, you know, and it's weird. It's so weird how we have to separate kids like that so early. But these behaviors start so early. They do. Um, so, yeah. Final thoughts on Pet Cemetery to bring us back to the film? I think to everyone, we should just check to see if this is still for sale because we should probably all just get together and buy this house <laughs> it's a huge yard a dangerous yard dangerous yard <laughs> well it's been a blast having you on the podcast where can people find out more about all that is jen larson i i would say uh disappearingmedia.com is the best thing to do and then my band beastie is playing out a lot it's spelled b-e-a-s-t-i-i They're super fun, and we'll have all the links in the write-up for the podcast of this episode. Uh, It's been a blast having you. That's been Jen Larson. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Mm